really specifically, the thing that has changed my life the most in the last decade is being 100% honest with myself and owning my shit. (laughs) This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 317. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode. I am so glad that you're here. I'm excited about today's solo show because it is sort of a... Something I decided to do last minute, I had posted something on Facebook and thought to myself, this would be a great podcast episode. I hope that you can take something away from it. If nothing else, I hope that you can see some of yourself in the things that I'm about to talk about. And I also hope that you did something similar to what I did about the decade that just ended. I know I've sort of been going on and on about it, but I just do really think that this is a huge milestone for us, an entire decade of growth, of things that happened, of life lessons. And if nothing else, I hope this inspires you to do your own inventory on your life. Before I jump into it, if you guys haven't listened to Not Another Self-Help Podcast, you might wanna try it. It's super funny. I think it's funny because I'm in it. Uh, Amy Smith and I (laughs) are doing this joint project together, and we are laughing so much in those episodes. Selfishly, I have listened to them more than once and laughed my ass off, and it's me talking to my best friend, and it still makes me laugh. I don't know if that's just because I'm completely self-absorbed or what, but we have had a lot of really great feedback that a lot of the listeners from here and from Amy's podcast as well have loved this this joint uh, love child, if you will, that we are doing together. There are eight total episodes, and I believe there's a handful of them out by now. So head on over to notanotherpod.com. Follow us on Instagram with that same handle, notanotherpod, and anywhere that you get your podcasts. I'm pretty sure we're on all the platforms, and I really hope that you love it. <laughs> All right, so one of the reasons that I thought it would be applicable just personally for myself to do this inventory is because I saw on December 29th, my Facebook memories popped up. And one of them was my status from that same day, 10 years previously. So on December 29th, 2009, at that point, I had a two-month-old and a two-year-old. And I posted nothing about my children in this post, but here's what I said. Change knocked at my door and I let her in. We're having coffee, but I'm still not sure if we'll be friends. So I have no idea what was going on in my head at that moment when I decided to post that, but I thought that was so interesting considering at that time we were heading into a new decade. We were heading into 2010. I had not even started Your Kick-Ass Life yet. Your Kick-Ass Life was not born until September 2010. So this was still about 10 months before I even launched that baby. But I was just starting my coaching practice. I was still blogging under uh, liveyourideallife.com which I love because it's so cliche life coachy and really not, you know, 
the brand of Andrea Owen. <laughs> but it was my first, it was my first foiray. Am I saying that right? It was my first step into this whole industry. And it really got me thinking about that whole decade. And so I'm going to, this is going to kind of go in two parts. I'm going to kind of give you a really quick synopsis over the last 10 years. And who knows, I might go on a side tangent. I just have like bullet points in front of me. I may go on some side tangents if I think that it will be helpful to you. But at the end of the episode, I'm going to talk about a few things that I've learned, some kind of overview life lessons on some topics that I've learned over the last 10 years on sobriety and recovery, on being a woman, on being a working mom, those types of things. And if nothing else, I guess this might be interesting for you to hear about what has happened over the last 10 years, especially for those of you maybe, you know, I'll go into a little bit about my career and being an entrepreneur. I don't know if many of you know this, but I was the accidental entrepreneur. I was not someone who was the kid who was sell- selling, you know, blow pops at school and was thinking of business ideas when I was younger. I never sold the most Girl Scout cookies when I was in elementary school. It just wasn't something that was in my sights. And it wasn't until I started this was like, oh, okay, this is something that I could do. It's been the best decision for my personality that I could have chosen. I don't think entrepreneurship is for everyone. And it might be interesting for you to hear a little bit about where this, the whole enchilada really started. Okay, so let's do this decade roundup. In January of 2010, I had a two-year-old and a four-month-old, and I was finishing up my life coaching certification hours at that point. Some of you listening might have been my very first practice clients at that point. And again, I, as I was saying, I was blogging under liveyourideallife.com. I look back on that time, and it was so... I mean, blissful in a way, not that having babies that little is easy, but blissful in a way that I didn't know what I didn't know in terms of building a business, especially building an online life coaching business, if we're going to get that specific. It was still a relatively new industry. It was still so much in its infancy as an industry, and especially the online aspect of it. There weren't a whole lot of people who came before me who had done this. So my colleagues and myself were sort of looking around going, okay, I guess we do this. I guess we try this. I guess we try that. And it it had its advantages and disadvantages for sure. The advantage was that I didn't have really anyone to compare myself to. That was fantastic. I didn't have any kind of blueprint where it would be helpful on one hand and also not helpful on the other hand because blueprints don't work for everyone. The disadvantage was really that we had to figure it out on our own. I guess that's how you look at it, that it could be an advantage or a disadvantage. Also, the huge advantage that I have is that I started early on in this industry. I was an early adopter in terms of blogging and just all of it, life coaching, podcast, like all of it. And so 100%, I have an advantage over people who are just starting out now to build their platform. But it was a kind of blissful time of just being a little bit ignorant about it all. So right around that time also – I was starting to have the 
inner voice, my intuition was telling me that I needed to take a look at my drinking habits. I was, you know, without getting too much into it, you can you can go to my recovery series and listen to the episode where I talk about this whole story. It's at yourkickasslife.com slash recovery. It's the very first episode where I talk about my story specifically. But to just sort of give you a very brief overview, I had healed from some other stuff and I was still at that time working on healing from things like codependency, my eating disorder love addiction, and my drinking had start, started to pick up when I was leaving those other coping mechanisms and symptoms behind. And it was right around that time in 2010 where I was, you know, my drinking was escalating. Again, I was not going out and partying, not that it matters, but just to kind of give you a picture, I was drinking at home and it was not healthy for me and i knew it and it was that voice was starting to get louder and louder but i i didn't get sober until the following year so late 2010 i passed my exams for my life coaching certification birthed yourkickasslife.com in september of 2010 and P.S. that I I also launched my very first group program, got one person to sign up. And instead of putting myself out there more, I freaked out. I canceled the class, <laughs> refunded that one woman that had signed up. And I look back on that and think and thought, you know what? I just I was too afraid to start this whole thing whole hog. I know probably look at me and think that I have all this courage and confidence and I just jump in with both feet. I do a lot of things that way now, but back then in 2010, I was afraid. You know, it wasn't so much that I was afraid to put myself out there. It was easier for me to write really vulnerable blog posts where I didn't have anyone really to answer to quite yet, but to sell something and put my that kind of work out into the world was at that time the scariest thing for me. And I got this one amazing person to sign up and then nobody else signed up. And I, I didn't really promote it all that much. I was like, oh, I sent out this one email and one person signed up and that's it. Well, I guess I'm a failure. Canceled the whole thing. So I just thought it might be helpful for people to realize you know, what that whole process looked like. 2011, we left our hometown of San Diego. My husband and I are both born and raised there. It was a big deal for us to leave. And we moved to Utah to be near my mom and stepdad. We didn't know anybody else there except my mom and her really awesome senior citizen friends. And it was super, super scary. So in May of 2011 is when I got sober. We had just moved to Utah and we moved in with my mom and stepdad which is another podcast episode that I have yet to <laughs> record it. I probably won't. If anyone has lived with your parents as an adult, when you have toddlers, you might feel my pain a little bit. And I got sober there, didn't really tell too many people. And then in that whole year in 2011, I had a few months of sobriety. Again, you can hear more about this on the recovery ser- the recovery series. I relapsed in September of that same year, one day, and that was really the lesson I needed to learn in order to know I needed to get sober. And that is officially my sobriety date, September 27th, 2011. Right after that, that same year, I sat up in bed one morning was probably in October or November of 2011. And I said to myself, I'm going to write a book. 
I had wanted to write one forever, but it seemed like such a pipe dream. It seemed like something that other people did, other people with more talent, with more experience, with more English degrees, with more connections, all of these things that we make up are necessary to make that big leap. And I had a moment of what I like to call delusional confidence and just thought, I'm going to do this. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't even know totally what the book is going to be about. I kind of know what it might be about. I'm going to do it. And then, of course, all the fears crept in when I sat down to do it. I don't know how. I'm going to do it wrong. I don't know how to get published, all of these things. And what I ended up doing is get is got some coaching on it. At that time, I could not afford to pay thousands of dollars for a coach. My business at the time was barely breaking even. And I ended up bartering coaching sessions with another coach that I knew. And that really changed everything. She coached me. I ended up figuring out what it was that I wanted to write about. And I started blogging about it. I started blog. I mean, those blog posts still exist on my website at yourkickasslife.com. And I wrote about all the drama that I was feeling. I was such a creative martyr. I mean, that's a lie. I am still a creative martyr, but it was just so agonizing. And I just dove into the drama of it all. But what ended up happening, and this was not intentional at all, it was just sort of a miracle. Someone was reading my blog. I think it was because of Twitter, which I'm not even on anymore. But Maria Ribes, who was, I believe she was a newer editor at a small publishing house, sent me an email and said, hey, I read your blog and I read that you're reading, writing a book. And if you are interested in having a chat, I would love to see if we're a good fit as a publisher. And I was like, oh my God, it's a scam. That was my first thought. Ended up finding out it wasn't a scam. They ended up being my first publisher. And that book is 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life. I want to take a little sidebar about that. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes to a blog post I wrote many years ago. And the title of it, I believe, is How I Manifested a Book Deal. And what ended up happening is I had a coach and she had me write this journal every single day and they were prompts. One of the questions was, wouldn't it be awesome if, and you filled in the blank. And she didn't want you to put down things like, wouldn't it be awesome if I had time to go for a run today? No, 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 no. These were things that your inner critic would probably laugh hysterically at. If you told people, they might poo-poo it. And these were things that seemed pretty extraordinary. So, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if I won the lottery and it was $50 million? Wouldn't it be awesome if I got nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize? Big things like that. And I wrote down one day, wouldn't it be awesome if I got approached for a book deal? Because this doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, it does, but it is so far-fetched. And I just wrote it down and walked away from it. And it ended up happening. And I didn't realize it until months later, and I'm flipping through my journal, and I was like, holy shit. And I had the date written down and everything. So it was clearly before I had actually got the book deal. So wink, wink there for writing down your intentions, putting it out there into the universe. All right. So back to 
Now we're at 2012. 2012 is when I got the book deal. uh, And it was also the same week we started testing our son for special needs. He's 12 now, and I don't like to get into the specifics of it too much just to protect his privacy. All I want to say about that is the juxtaposition of emotions during that time. I was on one hand riding so completely high from being able to have this come to fruition, to have this book deal, and at the same time being in fear and excruciating pain of going through the process of having my son tested uh, for these disabilities. And if any parent out there has been during that process, the the sheer amount of paperwork alone, the not knowing, the getting the diagnosis, and then being thrust into this world of resources, if you are lucky enough to even have those type of resources, I know many people don't, it is overwhelming. So both of those things were happening at the same time in 2012. I also started playing roller derby in 2012. And at that time, that is exactly what I needed. I was lonely. I was having a really difficult time making friends when we lived in Utah. And I also had always, it was something I always wanted to do. I was mildly obsessed with the sport. And it also was one of those things where I told myself I was too old. I was 37 at the time. I told myself I was too old. I told myself I would get hurt. I told myself those women wouldn't like me. All of those things. And I courageously, I went to a roller derby bout and asked uh, the women at the ticket counter about tryouts. They were so nice. They told me when tryouts were. I went and I played roller derby and it was so much fun and taught me so much about myself and about life. 2013, my first book came out. It was honestly everything I'd ever dreamed of. It is. There's nothing like being an author and having a couple of things are pretty tremendous. I mean, the whole process is, I mean, I, I can't even put it into words. But to get a box that has, somewhere I have the video of that. I mean, I guess I was unboxing before it was cool to unbox. But there's something so incredible about opening up a box that has your book in it, you know, a box of your books. I still have the business card where Maria had written me a note and she put it in one of the books like as a bookmark and she said, she's here and she's beautiful. And I was just like, oh my God. And I I kept that business card, that note from her because that was so, it was such an incredible moment for me. The second thing that's truly unbelievable that never gets old is seeing my book at Barnes and Noble. For some reason, seeing it at at an airport, I feel like is even more incredible just because of the foot traffic there and like all the different people that come. But all that to say, 2013 was huge. It was also the thing that I thought would catapult me into success. I was like, this is going to be the thing where all my financial stress is going to go away. P.S. in 20, I think it was around 20, it was around 2011 or 2012 where my husband and I decided we were going to get out of debt. And we started paying off $60,000 worth of debt. We started that process and I think we paid it off around 2017 or 2018. So that was a really big deal for us too. All that to say, my point is, is that that book did not (laughs) serve up what I thought it was going to, you know. All my stress would go away and it was going to solve all of my problems. And yeah, it was amazing. And it was a stepping tone, a stepping stone for my success. And 
it was probably, I should mention, right around that time where I redefined what success is. I'm pretty sure I've talked about that on the podcast before I thought success was a certain income. I thought it was some kind of status that we achieved that was going to be it. And I realized that that's not it. And for me now, success means something totally different. I have achieved success. I I achieved success in the very beginning. And to me now, success really is more about my relationships and the health of those relationships. And am I honoring my values? You guys knew I was going to talk about values, right? I mean, I always, it always comes back to values. Am I showing up as the woman that I want to be? Am I showing up as the woman that my dog thinks I am? You guys all know her, right? You know Giselle. If you don't, go watch my Instagram stories and you'll get to know her. But that's really what success is to me. Am I being a successful human by showing up as the best version of myself? That's what that is for me. All right, so that was 2013. 2014, we left Utah for North Carolina. And when I posted all this on Facebook, I said in parentheses to run from my criminal record there, obviously. And that's really a joke about Utah because Utah, they they are they tend to be, in my opinion, very wholesome people. And no, I did not have a criminal record there. And we ended up leaving Utah in 2014. 2015, lots of things happened this year that I can't really remember. <laughs> I'm like, there, ha- there there, was things, but there was nothing like hugely poignant. I don't think where any major life lessons came out of 2015. Maybe I just took a year off of life lessons for that one because in 2016 was – 2016 beat the shit out of me. The really great thing that happened that year was I got my second book deal. I believe in 2015, I was sort of in the brewing process. I was pregnant with ideas for how to stop feeling like shit. And in 2016, I got my second book deal for that book. I spent that entire year writing that book. And I was about, I don't know, maybe three quarters of the way done with it in September of that year. Um, My family and I were on a Disney cruise and my dad got sick. Three weeks later, he died. And that was October 16th, 2016. Three weeks later was the U.S. election. And as I know most of you know, it did not go the way I thought it was going to go and kicked the emotional shit out of me, you know, right after my dad died. And eight weeks after my dad died, my uncle died. And he was my dad's twin brother. And it just was, it just was a rough year. 2017 was the Me Too movement, as you know. And like it did, I think for many of us, it threw me for an absolute loop. I felt like someone kicked me in the back of the knees and uh, knocked me over. And I also wonder if it was coupled with the grief of losing my father that pushed me to really, truly withdraw. And I think it's what I needed to do at that time. I know I talked to you all a lot about isolating and hiding out. My version of isolating and hiding out was that I wasn't as out publicly with all of my 
enthusiasm and excitement and my Andreaness, I still 100% leaned on my support system. I went back and saw a therapist. Jason and I actually went back to therapy, which was fantastic for our marriage and absolutely necessary given this blow that we had with losing my father and him learning how to be with me, be there for me through that, I should say. And it was just really rough. It almost was one of those things where I was like, I don't know how much more of this I can take. And having done this work for so long, here's the thing that I really want to point out that I feel is so important. As I was going through that fire, I knew I was going to be okay. And I know that sometimes when we're in those places, when we have a year like my like my 2016, 2017 was, when we do feel like we're just on the ground getting the emotional shit kicked out of us, that it can feel like, how am I going to come back from this? If I truly lean into this pain and feel my feelings, am I ever going to stop crying? Am I ever going to stop feeling this pain if I open it up and let it in? That's how I used to be, 100%. Like if if that year had happened to me 10 years prior, which like, let's be honest, it did, 2006 <laughs> was not fun. That's when I got had my divorce and dated the fake cancer guy who lied because all of that. I, you guys know that probably. That was one of those times where I was like, I don't, I'm not ever going to come out of this and definitely numbed all my feelings. I was deep into my disordered behaviors and my very unhealthy coping mechanisms, 2006. The difference in what I went through in 2016, 2017 was that I knew I was going to be okay. I knew this was going to suck and I was not going to enjoy this whole process of walking through this fire, but I knew like Glennon Doyle says, that I was fireproof and that I was going to be stronger on the other side. I wasn't necessarily pumped about that. Like, yeah, I'm going to be great on the other side. It just was this knowing, this deep knowing that I had that I truly believed aided in my resilience, aided in my knowing that I was going to be okay. And I kind of feel like it allowed me to sort of speed up the process, not speed it up in a way where I plowed through it way too quickly, which I do have a tendency to do. Thank goodness I have people that remind me not to do that. But I do think that having done my own deep personal development work, which I'm sure that all of you listening are doing yourself in your own way, that that is what helped me be able to walk through that and be so much better on the other side. So January 2nd, 2018, as I've been talking about over the last few weeks, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit came out. And that book has been a great success in terms of traditional publishing, in terms of nonfiction publishing. It's something like 160 or 170,000 copies at this point, something bananas like that. And I did a small book tour where I was able to take my kids on to some of those cities, which was really fun, and got to meet so many of you. And it was incredibly fun, incredibly busy. Book tours um, are very exhausting, but incredibly worth it. It just was really the highlight of my life, one of the highlights of my life. And during that year, I also started writing lots of poetry, and it was something sort of new to me. I hadn't written poetry in a decade or a decade and a half. And it was something I did 
for my healing process. It was something I realized coming out of the Me Too movement that was helpful for me. I had a lot of anger and rage, and I didn't know what to do with it. So for me, writing is an outlet. And it also helped me, my friend Jamie Jensen, she's a writer and she writes screenplays and all kinds of different amazing things. And she says that if you're a writer, writing just for yourself is 100% a form of self-care. And I hadn't done that in so long. Everything that I had written had been for my audience. It had either been going into a book or it had been going onto the blog or trying to create witty social media posts that were entertaining and helpful and insightful. I hadn't written just for myself, things that nobody would see. And I, I do think that that is so important and something that I truly need to do more of. And so if that's you, whatever your art is, I hope that speaks to you. So yes, I wrote a lot of poetry. It was enormously therapeutic. And 2019 happened, and I intentionally dove into my healing. It wasn't an accident. You know, I had spent 2018 very busy having this book come out and writing some poetry. And 2019, when the marketing aspect of it did start to slow down enough, I really decided okay, these are the things I need to work at, work on. And if anything else comes up along the way, which it typically does, I am open to that. I told the universe that I was ready to have whatever teachers I needed to have be put in front of me so I could do this healing. And my usual ambition and fierce determination that I have in my career took a backseat as I focused on old stuff that I didn't even know was there really until about 2017. And at the end of 2019, I accepted an offer for my third book from my dream publisher, which at the time I'm recording this, the contract is still being you know negotiated and all those like big deal things that happened. And I, I haven't signed on the dotted line yet, so I can't tell you who it is, but it's coming in a few episodes. More on that later. Oh my God. And that was it. That's the whole decade in just, you know, some minutes here. And I guess all that to say, if change knocks on the door, let her in. Isn't that funny that I wrote that post on Facebook in 2009 and did not, of course, I didn't know what was coming. And I could not have imagined it would look like this. Could not have imagined. I mean, sure, if somebody would have told me that, if showed me that in the crystal ball, I would have been like, holy shit, that's amazing. But could never have imagined. Let me give you sort of a brief synopsis of a few things. You know, as I wrote down that whole decade in review, there were a few things that popped out to me that I'd, I'd love to, to tell you. Here's some things I've grappled with over the last decade, one of them being yeah, a working mom. So here's my conclusion about being a working mom. And, and also to add, being a working mom that I have a lot of ambition. I want to keep climbing the ladder. I want to be more and more, quote unquote, successful in terms of having more books and being a career author and keep having your kick-ass life grow and seeing what I want that to look like in 10 years. And I, I know what I want that to look like. It's it's pretty big. So So here's the thing. I have accepted that I will always feel guilty, even if it's just a little. It used to overwhelm me. The guilt used to overwhelm me. 
But now I feel like it just sort of flicks me in the ear once in a while. It ebbs and flows, and it's easier now that I've surrendered to it, and it's less now that I've surrendered to it. Life balance, I mean, you know, if you read 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, I talk about life balance in there, and then I think it's a myth, and I think that you need to figure out whatever life balance looks like for you, and as working mothers, we have this unique experience where... I don't know. I guess I'm trying to say is that a question I get from women sometimes is, how do I get rid of the guilt? And my answer is, I don't know, because I haven't done it. And I've never met anyone that has. I think I've maybe heard one woman that says she doesn't feel guilty anymore, and she seemed so callous about it. I was sort of like reading in between the words and I'm like, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you don't have any guilt. I don't know if it's just one of those things where I feel like I could be totally wrong. Hey, I have been wrong before many, many times, but I think I can get a pretty good read on people when they're talking from all of my coach training and I just didn't believe her. And I'm like, I finally was like, it's okay if I have a little bit. I kind of just think it goes along with motherhood and I don't let it take me down. I don't make it mean that I'm a bad mother, that I'm a bad person, that other mothers are better than me, because that's where we get in trouble. And sometimes I miss something. I'm traveling again this February, and I'm going to miss the daddy-daughter dance again. I missed it last year because I was traveling, and I had that wash of guilt come over me. And I'm like, you know what? It's going to be fine. I will go shopping with my daughter for a dress ahead of time. We'll get everything ready. I can FaceTime with them that night to be able to see her. It's going to be just fine. So a little, a little soapbox about being a working mom. On being an AG woman, y'all, I'm about to be 45 years old. That sounds so odd to me. I feel 28-ish, maybe 29. <laughs> I don't feel a day over 30. So it's like mind-blowing to me that I'm going to be 45. And here's the thing. It's complicated. It's super complicated. If you listen to the episode I did, it was a conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people with my friend, Ella. I'm going to drop that in the show notes because it's also pretty entertaining. She's hilarious. Where we talk about this. We talk about aging. She's about the same age as, as I am. But when you grow up in a culture where youth and beauty are currency, it's difficult to embrace aging as no big deal. I get a little bit fired up. I'm in this Facebook group with, it's like for women in their 40s, and there are so many posts in there about weight, about appearance, about aging, and it just, it pains me. And at the same time, it's really interesting to watch the comments, and there's always a couple people in there when someone's talking about, you know, I'm, I'm considering getting Botox, and they're, you know, they're talking about that, and one or two people will pop in there and say, aging is a privilege afforded to not everyone, just embrace aging and don't get Botox or something like that, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't say anything because I I just don't have time to get on in an argument with people or in these Facebook groups. I don't. I really have to be in a mood to comment because I, I have to really think it through and be kind and compassionate and all of those things as someone who has a platform like, like I do has to be. But what I want to say about that is like give someone the dignity of their own process first and foremost. Like like 
first, wait, 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 let me back up. I get it. Like, I want to give a big fuck you to the culture that has created us, a society that puts so much pressure on women that our appearance matters so much. And to be an aging woman is kind of a sin. Like, we, there's the whole thing. Okay, I'm not going to get too much into that. But I think all of us have our process to go through this. And I did not realize this until I started going through it myself. When I was in my 30s, I was like, I'm never going to get Botox and stop inviting me to your Botox parties. And that's how I sounded. But I just, and now I'm here at 45 and I'm like, I can see how, why people would get Botox. I totally get it. And I just, I get my hackles up when people criticize, especially when women criticize other women for doing whatever they need to do to feel good at the same time. I think you can make the same point and use different words, use a different delivery. All I wanted to say on that is that it's complicated and it is challenging to embrace aging as no big deal. That's what Ella and I talk about in that episode. What does it mean to age gracefully? What does that even mean? And she has a fantastic answer for that. I will let you go and listen to it. All right. I need to stop talking about that or I'm going to go on for another 40 minutes. Let's change subjects. On sobriety and recovery. Sobriety and recovery are two different things. Getting sober from alcohol was just the last symptom I was using to run away from my life, to run away from my feelings, to run away from my everything. Getting sober and choosing recovery was one of the best choices I ever made in my entire life. I know that when I get to the very end of my life, however long that is, I will look back and cite getting sober and choosing recovery was one of the best life choices I ever made. The last thing is on the topic of happiness. Kind of to close this out, the thing that has changed my life the most and Really specifically, the thing that has changed my life the most in the last decade is being 100% honest with myself and owning my shit. I used to blame everyone else anytime I was unhappy. But when my life fell apart in 2006, I finally started looking at me. And I slowly, took me a minute, (laughs) I slowly learned compassion, empathy, patience, understanding, boundaries, self-trust, trusting others, acceptance, surrender. And I finally learned to let people love me and see me. When I was still drinking and still codependent and using unhealthy coping, coping mechanisms, one of the things I realized, and I was, I was a few years out of Uh, into recovery, I should say. And I had like that total smack me in the face aha moment where I thought to myself, I have not let people love me and see me, like truly love me and see me. I was trying so hard to only let people see my ideal self, you know, this, this happy, charismatic, enthusiastic, energetic girl and woman And the shadow side of me, which we all have, the person who is sometimes selfish and entitled and quick to anger and all of these things that I don't like about myself but are true to me as a human and things that I still work on daily, I 
was adamant that no one see that. And I made up a story that no one would love me if they truly saw me for who I am. So began this cycle of running away from everything and perfectionism and some people-pleasing, poor boundaries, overachieving, isolating and hiding out. You all know these things. You read them and how to stop feeling like shit. Anyway, that was that. That was one of my huge epiphanies of the last decade. And I hope that this episode was helpful for you. And again, like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, if nothing else, that you do your own decade inventory and try to think back year by year, what was happening? What was the thing that you thought that would break you? What did you end up learning from it? What were the highs? What happened that was so amazing? Give yourself a moment to celebrate that again. And I want to just leave you with one quick thing that I forgot to mention in the beginning of the episode. We are running, again, my signature program, uh, the Mentorship Masterclass, is coming back this year. And you can head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship. Or you can send me a DM on Instagram if you're interested. And I can send you the link and chat with you a little bit about it. Applications are going to open up in February. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I know how valuable your time is, and I am honored and just so grateful that you choose to spend it with me. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 